In today's episode of the David Watson podcast, I spoke to Hannah, and Hannah had a really unique story. She grew up in a care home, and her, alongside her brother, uh, they now have Bradfield Home Care, and we got into some of the concepts of care, some stories of her childhood, how they then grew the business from taking over from their parents, it's become a franchise, and just what does that mean? What are the standards? What are the expectations? And yeah, there was a lot to it, and genuinely appreciated Hannah's time. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Take care. Good morning, Hannah. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? Very well, thanks, David. Lovely to lovely to be here and uh, lovely to meet you virtually. Yes, yeah, this lovely new way that we're all getting used to, and we just <laughs> sit, seems to be quite seamless. We've just all, oh, this is what we do now. It's, it's yeah, not yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's not even an effort. I know it's just become the new normal, hasn't it? So uh, yeah, right, the whole right. world is pretty much adapted within a short space of time. But um, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It is. It's, I find it very strange because like things like Zoom and Skype and video call, they've been around for years and everyone's like, no, 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 we're not doing it. And yeah. and now we're all like, can we Zoom? Can we Zoom before we do anything else? <laughs> do, do I really have to meet you in person? Can I just Zoom? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you've got to you've got to sort of raise your game a bit, haven't you, if you're meeting in person? You've actually got to put, you know, proper clothes on and, and put, present yourself properly. Yeah, put your pants on and everything like that. Exactly. Some trousers and get out of your pajamas. You know, it's it's, it's stressful stuff. Do you know, I have I have actually done some Zoom meetings where and some podcasts where I'm just in a T-shirt today. I'm um, just because of the weather, but in uh, where I'm actually wearing a shirt and underneath I've just got shorts on or tracksuit bottoms yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the top half was very presentable, very professional. I think I think we've all done that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So first, I'd like to thank Julia, obviously, for doing the introduction and very much thank you for agreeing to coming on. Because I'm not going to say too much just yet because I, I want you to, to explain to people, but I do think you have an incredibly fascinating story, both you and your brother. And um, so could you just explain to people why I'm so fascinated. <laughs> well, I hope I hope the, uh, the fascination still holds when you've um, you've heard what what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose um, my brother and I had a slightly unusual upbringing, um, just sort of starting right back where it all began. Um, so our parents decided when I was six and my brother was nine that they were going to set up a an old people's home essentially um in Shrewsbury and so we basically took over took on sort of a quite a run down big building that used to be flats and then just sort of converted it and um and then opened it as a as a care home so that that was my home growing up so living alongside the um you know the older residents that we had and you know very much just sort of part and parcel of our childhood so we seem very normal to us but you know on reflection as you grow up you realize that uh, not everyone else has sort of 15 extra grandparents you know living alongside them and um, and also all the you know all the staff the care staff that that sort of came and went and you know big part of our lives so yeah a bit of a bit of an unusual upbringing I suppose 
Um, and then after that, we, we decided that, well, my brother and I, we both went off and did our sort of individual career paths. So I went and trained um, as a doctor and qualified as a GP, worked as a GP for a number of years. My brother went down more of a sort of financial route and working in the sort of charitable sector and he managed a community radio station in Manchester. And then it was really when our parents were looking at succession planning for the care home that they, they sort of reached out to both of us and said, oh, you're not interested, are you? Um, and I think they were both quite taken aback when we both said, actually, yeah, we, we are interested and, uh, you know, we'd quite like to get involved um, and see see where to sort of take the business um, forward. And so we, we sort of joined forces and, and sort of took a bit of a look at the, the market probably with slightly fresher eyes. I think after my parents have been running the care home for 30 plus years, um, you know, my brother and I came in with, with sort of slightly fresh, fresh viewpoint on it. And, um, and it was becoming pretty clear at that point that, that most people were wanting to move away from being in a residential setting and actually wanted to stay in their own homes and, and receive care into their own homes. So that's where we decided to sort of take the future of the business. So we, we moved into home care um, and that's what we've been doing since 2008. So we set up our first home care office in Shrewsbury and then expanded around the, the Midlands area. And then in the last four years, we've been um, franchising the model. So we've now got um, a number of franchise partners operating um, around the country and uh, we've got more sort of in the pipeline ready to open up their businesses. So, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's sort of the... Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> well, and we should mention it's called Radfield Home Care. It is, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> one of the things that fascinated me about this, and I need to be careful how I articulate this, because I don't want it to come across as wrong, but do you know, like, when you were a child, and I'm looking back reflecting on my childhood sort of thing, and you have this image of, like what it would be like to grow up on a fairground, what it would be like to grow, grow up in a zoo, right? And I have incredibly fond memories of my grandparents, you know, and, and just actually for the record, I work in care. Right? So, oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I just imagine growing up in a care home and, and me, what I was like as a child, good and bad, is... <laughs> just have must I have this image in my head that it must have been just one huge adventure yeah do you know I think looking back I mean the there were just such lovely benefits to it because we you know we moved from a really small house into this this great big house with lovely gardens and you know as a kid that was just absolutely incredible um and I remember you know our very first resident that moved into the into the care home I was six at the time and I used to hop into bed with her in the morning for a cuddle before I go to school and, you know, be sweets and, you know, yeah. all of that lovely, you know, um, just family environment that was just really magic. You know, it, it really was. It was it was really special. Um, and a lot of my friends, you know, would come over and visit and, you know, just couldn't quite believe how much, I suppose, freedom we had as well, because, Ooh. you know, parents were very busy running the home and, you know, making sure that that everything was was running properly so there was a little bit of an element of, of us sort of fending for ourselves a little bit but um but we you know equally we had lots of our you know the care care staff there who would look after us and take us under their wing and lots of different influences from that respect so 
yeah, really, you know, just quite unique, but um, but really wonderful, I think. Because at the beginning, you opened it up as it was a bit like having 15 grandparents. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like like grandparents, you don't always like all of them all the time. When I was imagining this, I was imagining that there must have been some like some amazing residents and then some grumpy residents and and in, in in the way that my mind can get kind of with imagination and stuff is it, it must have been an adventure like there's good and there's evil and there's people you avoided and people you tormented then people that you just hung around <laughs> and loved being around i think tormented is a little harsh i'll, I'll uh... <laughs> probably a better description uh... of my childhood <laughs> yeah i'll let you own that one um but <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, yeah, absolutely. There was just some absolute characters. I mean, just incredible characters. And, you know, sort of one of our one of our early residents, he he reached, um, I think he ended up 101. So his lifetime, he, you know, he spanned right back into, you know, incredible, incredible yeah. lifetime. You know, he was born in the sort of 1880s, you know, it was just in incredible. Man. So, um, you know, just having that sort of, influence and you know all these incredible characters around um so yeah just just fascinating stories and you know you didn't really appreciate that as a child but but reflecting back now i think you know there were just such such interesting people and the times they'd lived through well can, can you can imagine that as you're saying you're growing up as a child and th this gentleman was born sort of in the 1880s which is coming into the power of steam and steam engines it's still part of the industrial revolution and you haven't even started the art deco era yet mm. it, yeah it, it, do you know what i mean it is queen victoria is, would she be on the throne by the yeah she'd be on the throne yeah i think she was still on the throne yeah yeah and yeah. and it's if if you look at everything from seaside resorts suddenly you've got train stations it was a huge booming exciting time Probably mm. one of the most exciting times for the working classes in British history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And to to have that, you know, that sort of living, breathing history there was just, you know, quite, it's quite incredible when you look back on it. Yeah, um, yeah. And how much do you think, as that childhood, uh, created the values that you and your brother brought into care? I think it was massively um, instrumental. I think we, because we grew up in the in the home, literally living pretty much alongside the residents. And I'm sure, you know, from their perspective, that wasn't <laughs> always a good thing. Um, but you know, for us, I think it just gave us that real sense that actually a caring environment doesn't have to be, you know, a sort of sterile environment. It doesn't have to be, you know, clinical. It you know, it can be a family environment. And that's, I think, very much the the ethos that we've wanted to carry on through. So although we care for people in their own homes, um, you know, there's, we still very much focus on trying to create that family culture um, and spirit within our all of our employees and our care professionals, um, because that's just really important to us. Um, I, you know, we've, we've cared for my grandparents, my dad, you know, and, and I just, yeah it's so so important that that people feel um that that care is you know becomes part of just their i don't know not we're, we're a very sort of trusted 
member, not not of their family as such, but obviously, you know, we're going into quite sensitive situations often, and you know, have to have to bridge a gap between, um, you know, allowing family members to remain family members, so allowing daughters and sons to remain and keep that relationship as a daughter and a son, and not a carer. So the care, our care professionals will go in and you know, and sort of broker that new relationship, if you like, and, and free up um, family carers from from having to, to take on that caring role. So, um, yeah, it, it can be quite a, a you know, a, a tricky thing to get right sometimes. But yeah, I think in terms of the values piece that, you know, having grown up in the home and having lived and breathed it, it was hugely important to us. And, you know, it still very much is today. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not one for calling out policies or anything like that. But there is a necessity for a kind of a clinical and sterile side to care work. It's essential. You couldn't operate um, safeguarding and all of that stuff without it. But often while this is being done unintentionally, well, I believe it's unintentionally, we kind of forget the humanity, the the, the individuals that are behind it, because as as we were talking about the, uh, the gentleman earlier, there is a guy who grew up in the 1880s. You know, that, that, that was his era. And saw things, did things, survived two, world, two wars. Um, mm. And interestingly, saw the birth of the NHS. Which, yes, yeah. You know, um, and it's very, it's very difficult to, I think, in the in the care industry, it's very difficult to re- when you see somebody that has now become go- gone from independent to codependent to completely dependent. is It's very difficult to see the person that still exists in their memories, their feelings, ha- how they were emotionally reactive to things. The <laughs> I mean, I mean, that, I'm fascinated by this guy now because he he saw the, the rise of rock and roll. He he, he lived through. The 50s, the 60s, the 70s, do you know what I mean? All of those yeah. things, things mm-hmm. that, um, which are a complete fascination. And that they then become completely dependent on you. And yeah. It, yeah. It, it can be incredibly difficult to um, still see the human being and, and just how, I'm trying to think how to articulate that really well, but it, it's just there's so many details to that person that when you present it with a care plan, you're just like, no. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of, you know, you can, you can never capture the essence of an individual in, you know, one, two, three, four meetings, going in and doing a formal, you know, care consultation, things like that. It, you can, you, what, what you do is you start the journey and you're building up, you know, a picture of that individual over time. And we rely very much on our care professionals you know, feeding information that we can then capture and we can, you know, work then much more closely with the individual to, you know, to focus on whether we can help reconnect them with their previous hobbies or whether they'd like to, you know, go out and about or, you know, whatever it is that we can help to sort of connect them back into, you know, any any sort of, um, you know, hobbies or interests they used to have, but also that sort of connection that they used to have with themselves, maybe that's actually got lost as they've got older. 
So that, that's something that we, we focus on and we're, we're really passionate about is actually, you know, and actually our, our purpose as an organisation is to help our nation age well and remain connected. And that remaining connected piece for us is, you know, you can interpret that in lots of ways. Um, you know, it could be supporting with the new age of connectivity, you know, which is Zoom calls and keeping <laughs> in touch with family and, you know, and helping helping people who are maybe a little bit more isolated have that have that connection. But it but it very much is around connecting with the community, connecting with their families, with their friends, with, you know, with themselves as well, as I said, because I think that that is something that, you know, we've seen as as people get older and they're they're fighting different battles than you've had to fight, you know, when you're fit and well and your body's functioning really well and your mind's, you know, really, you know, on top form. And as those things start to be more problematic as you get older, I think people do tend to start to lose a little bit of um, sight of who they used to be and what, what used to really drive them and, you know, all of those things. So that that's very much um, part of how we focus on care. And so it isn't just, you know, providing care professionals into that environment yeah. it's so much more than that um you know so it's you build up a picture very much over time of how we can help support somebody and what what's important to them so yeah it's hugely important and and, and it's great that actually as a sector you know the care sector has focused a lot more since we've been operating in it since 2008 it's become far more person-centered um and you know looking at people's outcomes all of those sort of buzzwords that have been introduced over the last you know <laughs> they love 13, a buzzword 14 years yeah exactly <laughs> um and when they're done well it's you know i think care can be transformative when it's when it's just a box ticking exercise then it's you know it, i think that's that's where care sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep yeah. you know in terms of the the poor stories and things and you know there's so many care professionals out there in the country doing an incredibly brilliant job under really difficult circumstances and, and not just in the paid sector but in the voluntary sector and you know family carers who you know just do an incredible job so um yeah it tough it's a tough tough job and it's really tough to do it well um i think is is sort of the the bottom line but um yeah it's something we're really passionate about really striving for yeah because it's interesting because like you say that there's there's lots of buzzwords that, that they that they love a pretty poster and a buzzword yeah. um but but then the, i will say that i've in my own experience which is now what 16 17 years it's always been with good intentions but often maybe po policies aren't actually made by those people at, at the ground floor who are the ones mm -hmm. doing the work so sometimes good, good intentions can be misinterpreted and it, it's not always as simple as a box ticking exercise you know it, it does take the person receiving the, the new policy to be able to see how they can humanize it yeah yeah absolutely i think you know it, it's you've we are a highly regulated industry so we have got to do you know make sure all the policies are in place make sure everyone's following them you know so there is that side of it but then there's very much the the human side of care that you know you've got to cover the basics but then it's it's layering on top of that all of the all of the wonderful you know add-ons that that you can do to to really enhance somebody's life and make it um you know make the difference from just living their life to actually having a real quality of life which is you know, it's hugely important, isn't it? It is. So how old were you when you left the care home? 
I was, well, 18 um, when I went off and I travelled for a year, um, went overseas and, you know, kicked my heels up and explored the world a little bit, which was great. And then um, came back and went to um, medical school at Birmingham University. So then I was in Birmingham then for, for six years and then went back overseas again for a few years to, to work overseas. Um, so, yeah. So I had a quite a quite a long stint in the in the residential home growing up. So yeah, in in those twelve years, would you say there were any values or lessons that you picked up but didn't realise at the time? Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. I I think um, I think probably the the overriding lesson I think is. Um, because I was surrounded by so many different people, I think that was probably the the biggest impact was being surrounded by people from all walks of life. So obviously, you know, with our client group coming from, you know, stretching way back in, you know, their their lifespan yeah. and all of those those sort of life experiences. And then um, I think the 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 actual the, the care professionals that we had working in the home as well were a huge influence on on me. Um, just because they were just so again so different so many different influences um you know i think it's hard to say it's hard to sort of take away one message um, it can be rounded you know a, it can be just, just yeah yeah i think the i think i think it was just really wonderful to have all of those different people feeding into you know i had so just being surrounded by all of those different people and all of their wonderful personalities and you know and you know and, and the challenges as well you know just probably grew up a little bit earlier than maybe yeah. other kids my age because you know surrounded by some difficult things you know death death for example you know had to had to cope with that at quite an early age and and get used to that and living um very much alongside the client group where people do pass away unfortunately and um and coping with that um, and then, you know, some of the social problems that come with, you know, employing um, care professionals, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, and I think it is, you know, something that hopefully we're, you know, as a sector, we can try and address over time. But, you know, they are a lower paid um, cohort in society, unfortunately. Um, and with that, sometimes comes some challenges and, you know, some maybe slightly more challenging um, social issues that, that can come through as well. So, yeah, really, you know, I think from from that perspective, just having quite a, my eyes opened at quite a young age to a lot yeah. of those things, I think was was quite formative. Um, yeah, as I said, probably made me grow up a bit faster than, than my peers. But um, at the same time, I hope maybe left me with quite a good sort of um, understanding of people from all walks of life. Um, so yeah, I think I think that would probably be the overriding influence. Yeah. I think because there is something, isn't there, with um, especially children. Um, I think as we become adults, teenagers, and adults, we lose it slightly. But ch children have a, a unique perspective of seeing things, a unique way of seeing things, and especially when you're young, it's very easy to hide under a table. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and be in a room full of adults and nobody knows you're there. And yeah, you said yeah, like you've done that. Um, <laughs> of course I've done that <laughs> hidden at the top of the banisters and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and eavesdropped <laughs> it's um, because so, so as a child you know 
when you do, there, there will be residents that you were really fond of. How did you learn to cope with when they passed? Um, I remember, I think when I was younger, ironically, I think the, you know, when I was younger, I found it easier. I think as I got into my teens, I remember being, you know, more upset. And, um, and I think it sort of coincided more with, you know, you're wanting to contemplate the, the meaning of life. I don't know, as teenagers do, you're starting to sort of think about life and death a little bit more and, you know, mortality and you're starting to, some of those concepts are starting to become a little bit more real. And, you know, I think, I think that's that's fair to say. I think most teenagers probably go through that stage a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think it probably affected me more in teenage years than it did in younger years, and it probably as well because I was more sheltered from it. Looking back, I'm sure I was. Things were maybe, you know, slightly brushed over and glossed over a little bit when I was very yeah. little. Um, but you know, when I was a teenager, I, I was working in in the home doing you know, doing sort of working as a carer um, from the age of 14 onwards. Um, so, you know, then it was just dealing with everything and anything. Um, so, yeah, I think that was probably, yeah, more affected by it as I got, got a bit older, to be honest. And what about the residents themselves? Did you, did you know, have you ever noticed with the residents with their attitude towards their final days? Um, yeah, we had, to, what was really, really strange, and it was something that we observed time and again, was actually um, when when somebody passed away, there was almost like a sense of uplifting within the community and the home, which was completely the opposite from, from what you'd expect. Um, and it was, I don't know, it, very strange. And not always that case, obviously, and, you know, where, where people were particularly yeah. close to one another, then then obviously it was very sad and very difficult. But, um, yeah, generally speaking, it was, yeah, very, very strange, strange phenomenon. But, uh, yeah, because one of the reasons I asked is, so my mum my is Irish, so I'm half Irish, and, you know, my mum's, from my mum's side, her mum, her mum was one of 13 adults. Right. Yeah, wow. Do you know what I mean? And she came from her mum and dad. Was it her mum and dad? Well, she had an uncle that was younger than her, and but and there was twenty siblings. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Did, yes, it's me. a proper Catholic <laughs> Irish family. Do you know what I mean? And um, but they all there was always this strange. Well, I found it kind of interesting, but also trying to understand it. Like like you say, you. You, when you first notice these things as a teenager and stuff, you start to contemplate, is there a meaning to mm. life and the journey yeah. and, and all of that? Because it, I noticed with all of them, as they became kind of elderly and into their 60s and their 70s and everything, they, they all got to kind of a point of being relaxed about it. Mm. And I, and when one by one, they, they there's only a couple left now. That they sound so horrible when I say it like that, you know. <clears throat> I, I think I believe there's two aunts in a life, and that the, yeah, the, the, there was a sense of I don't know, just okay with it. Mm. That that panic and fear that you have when you're young, that you don't have enough time, that that just and oh my god, I, you know, and I and I've noticed this more and more as I as you know I'm 46 now and I've noticed this more and more um, with friends, parents, and stuff like that. That, that, that all once they get to a certain point a certain age and it's different for everybody they they just and they can go on for another 10 or 15 years but they there's just no fear 
there's no fear of, of passing away. There's no fear of death. And they all seem to be quite relaxed about it. You know, and like, and like the way you, you described it, when it happened, that sometimes it uplifted the, the, the care home. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard hard to understand, isn't it? It's hard to hard hmm. to quite understand why that why that's the case. And um, I think for people who reach a you know reach a really you know great old age, um, people who you know get well into their nineties and things, I think inevitably life does tend to contract um, around you. You know your your life your your ability to sort of get out and about and do do all the things that you used to do. You know, not for everyone, but in the in yeah. the main, it does tend to contract, and I think that's maybe that sort of um, you know, as the brain ages as well. I think just some of those sort of factors just maybe make people able to accept it more at that stage. Um, I think it's yeah, I think it's probably a combination of things, but I certainly don't remember you know in all of the you know growing up with all of the interactions and you know living alongside the the clients i don't remember it being a really very spoken about maybe with the occasional occasional client but i yeah don't remember it being a sort of big theme that was talked yeah. about or people particularly worried about it so yeah it's, it's an interesting one isn't it I, yeah i i've always been kind of weirdly fascinated by that part of life anyway just just because I, I like I said I, I've witnessed uh, people who the only way I can describe it is just a very comfortable acceptance mm. you know and I don't know if that's because my background is Irish and they they were all staunch Catholics you know so everything was God's will and um, <clears throat> I don't know if that helped many of those older generations because there was definitely a, a strong Christianity in the country you know yeah uh, back yeah then. absolutely yeah that that may be an element as well because I think you know certainly as a as a group we're we're less religious now aren't we as a nation yeah. than we were going back you know twenty thirty years ago so yeah that may that may be yeah. a factor as well <clears throat> yeah because I mean back then there was a lot of faith in in regardless of what your religion was faith was a, a big part of everybody's life you know mm. um, did you was there anything you were ever advised not to worry about? You know, like a teenager growing up, that you, you know you can. The, the, the problem of being a teenager is you get inside your own head. And yeah. <clears throat> was there anything that ever stood out as people like that? You don't ever need to worry about that. What from from the residents in the home? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the sort of life advice passed down. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh gosh, you know what? I'm sure there was. I'm sure there were many occasions, and um, that's the terrible thing about being a teenager is that you don't, don't pay attention. To you. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. <laughs> and I think I've probably been been very guilty of that. <laughs> I can't say that I've I've got all these wonderful worldly wisdoms that were passed down to me. I'm afraid, but um, I probably remember more from my grandparents, just sort of you know comments and sayings and things that they'd repeat over time that. Uh, probably can't recall now off the top of my head but yeah I'm sure there were loads loads of things and lots of people wanting to give me wonderful advice and and life guidance and things and um yeah probably being a grotty teenager I just <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just, just ignored Didn't them take it all in <laughs> yeah and so moving forward with um Radfield Home Care because like you say you're you are now franchising yeah so, so what does that involve exactly it's um, it's 
basically, I mean, franchise, there's lots of lots of franchise businesses in the country, some, you know, that are really well known, like McDonald's, yeah. um, through to others that are maybe less well known. So, for example, another another retail one, but Thornton's is a franchise, for example. Okay, I didn't and, know that. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it is actually a very big part of the economy and um, also a very, you know, it's very prevalent, actually, franchising as a business model. Um, it works really well in the care sector um, because um, what you get with franchising is we, for, for us, we are looking for franchise partners who will open up a Radfield home care business in their local area. Um, and what we get with that, if we, if we find the right person, which is what we spend a lot of our time doing is, you know, rejecting people essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you've got to really be careful in terms of who we who we bring on. Um, and once you find that right person, then they're they're really there. They they will take all the passion and the the drive into their local community. They they set up an office. They they recruit care professionals, and and they deliver care with our model and our, you know, processes and, you know, our way of working um, into their local community. And then we very much, you know, we, we, then they're part of our network. So they get a lot of peer support with, from other franchise partners in the network. Um, we put on sort of conferences, forums, lots of training, lots of ongoing support um, with compliance, with marketing, all of those things. So it really is kind of, it's a, they're, they're buying a business model um, yeah. and all of the, the support that goes along with that. Um, yeah, so that, that sort of in a nutshell is, is, <laughs> is the franchise model. And what, what do you try to, because you said you reject a lot of people. Mm. So I'm not going to ask what people do wrong. What do they do right? The ones that are right have to, well, I mean, for a start, it's quite a... I wouldn't say grueling, but it's certainly quite a, a lengthy and um, challenging process that we put them through. So they've got to, first of all, they've got to sort of jump through all of those hoops and demonstrate to us at each each point on that journey that they've got what it takes. So we're looking, you know, we're not just looking at the outcome of them sort of achieving that journey. We're looking at how they, how they approach it. Um, you know, we need people who are obviously caring um you know so people who we get lots of lots of um conversations that start with how much money can i make out of this <laughs> and for us that's that's basically bye see you yeah. later <laughs> yeah um so you know there's there's lots of opportunities for us to sort of filter out people um you know so obviously caring looking for got to have really good attention to detail they've got to have really good people skills um they've got to be a little bit entrepreneurial so they've got to want to set up their own business but not too entrepreneurial that they want to you know not follow all our processes because we've got a very well established um, methodology and all the systems policies processes that we know work and we've tried and tested over time um, some people occasionally might come into that and just say well I can do my own thing oh, yeah. um, that's that's not what good franchising is and you know so yeah, so that we're sort of looking for people who are willing to follow our model, willing to take our advice and guidance, but equally are passionate enough and, and you know, want to get out into their local community and, and talk about what they do and, you know, have a real passion for it and then want to deliver really high quality care 
Um, and the only way they can do that is by recruiting the best care professionals and training and supporting them really, really well. So it's, yeah, so just on that, you can see we're looking for some quite unique individuals. It's it's not for everyone. Um, no. And um, yeah, so it takes a long time for us to sort of filter, filter out all the people that aren't right and then um, and it's very much a two-way process so you know it's they've they're we're we're interviewing them they're interviewing us it's got to be a partnership and that's why we call them franchise partners because we see it very much as a partnership um, so yeah long process but when you get the right people it's it's really rewarding and and really fantastic to see them start their journey build their business you know and yeah it's 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 quite magic actually just to see them start to sort of build their businesses and and you know and just deliver some really fantastic quality of care across the country it's yeah really rewarding if you could what, what do you think people misunderstand about the care industry um i think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions around um the the media portrayal of the care sector over recent years i think has, has done a lot of probably good but also a lot of damage to the reputation um you know i think a lot of people still perceive care as being you know just coming in and doing very sort of menial tasks personal yeah. care um and yes there is elements of that obviously but it's also all the wonderful connections that people make with each other and all of the the wonderful you know enhancement you can make to people's lives so i think you know when you've got these sort of horror stories in the media around you know these carers have done this or this care company isn't paying enough or you know and it a lot of that is the problems with the funding in the sector um in terms of you know the um social care rates you know with local authorities um yeah. and the problem is that there isn't enough funding for that um, we very much operate more in the private marketplace, which allows us to um, charge more, but then we can pay more so we can recruit. Um, I work in the private. I, I, I work privately. Yeah. You know what I mean? And look, I, I, I'm not going to call anyone out, but you get what you pay for. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and it, is, it is a real shame, isn't it, that there's, there's that sort of inequality in the country around um, access to care. And I think, yeah. it, you know, it is fantastic in in our country that we can, you know, people do have access to care. So if they need it, then they, they can have funded care. And, um, you know, a lot of companies are out there doing an incredible job on very, very low, um, you know, pay rates. And it's just, it's phenomenal really that how the country is, is sort of supported on, on you know, an underfunded system. Um, so yeah, real challenges there. And I think it, you know, the media have a lot of potential you know horror stories that they can pick on and, and yeah. certainly have done over over recent years um but i think with the one of the nice things actually to come out of the the, the crazy pandemic world we've been living in over the last year and year or more um is the fact that actually home care has had much more of a, a sort of spotlight shone on it yeah so during the first lockdown in particular i think you know, home care is a, a general concept. Most of the gen most of the public don't really know what it is. The first thing they say is, "Oh yeah, care home." Not really understanding the difference. So um, having having the 
you know, the media actually focus more on more positive stories around aunt carers doing a fantastic job, you know, looking more specifically at home care. And I think so the, the general awareness, I think, is raised in the country around that, you know, there are companies out there doing home care and doing a, a fantastic job. Um, so I think, yeah, that's been a nice, a nice positive to slightly raise the profile of, of the sector. Where would you like to see care go? Ooh, um, I, I think, just, I I'll mean, just slip that one in there for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no politician. <laughs> no, no, just, just like, you know, like, you know, I, I literally, I, if, if I was going to try and just get one thing for people whether are in care or something like that, it's, it's just awareness. To do it because you, you you see it on social media, Facebook groups and stuff like that. Some somebody will. Um, I, I read one the other day. It was in like the, the area that I live in. Some some carer apparently in Tesco's. Somebody else felt they weren't treating that person correctly. All right. <clears throat> now, as somebody that runs a care team, my first thought was, how do you know anything about mm. the person they're looking after? For all you know, that person that's being looked after could be a kleptomaniac, could be violent, mm. and that person may have spotted a trigger and may have immediately stepped in, which can seem quite abrupt on the outside in. Mm. You know, I, I get that. But we also have a responsibility to take people who aren't often the most social and take them shopping, take them into the community, do things with them. And I'm not saying that that person wasn't a crappy care worker either. But it was everything from they didn't have their ID badges, they didn't have to wear, they didn't have their uniforms on. It's just like, you don't have to. Lots of people yeah. don't wear uniforms. I never wear my ID. I don't have to. I hardly have to carry it, you know, it, because we're not trying to make the whole world see that these people need care. We're trying yeah. to let them blend into the community like everyone else. And so I would just love this, if I could just, just, just awareness is, 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 and that's so vague and so expansive it's probably not even helpful <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm going to hand it back to you <laughs> okay <laughs> i think um for me i would probably say advocacy i think that's yeah. something i've always been been quite passionate about i remember my father going into hospital um quite a few years ago now but um he had ms as a sort of you know his background diagnosis and then um he went in with well, they, they didn't know what, what had happened. Ultimately, he'd had, a, he'd had a stroke, but it wasn't sort of classic symptoms of stroke. Um, and if we hadn't been there, really sort of advocating hard on his behalf, um, I think he would have just been sort of parked up and, you know, the, the yeah. MS diagnosis was kind of, all, you know, it took over from the fact that this was actually an acute incident, you know, and we had to be there saying, look, he was he was driving his car yesterday. He was walking around town because he came in sort of semi-conscious and they just looked at MS. And, and I know that was probably, you know, that, that's not the way <clears throat> most most teams in the hospital would, would operate, but that certainly was the experience that we had. And, and it just really, really concerned me that actually, if, you know, if people aren't there advocating for on behalf of other people who can't do it for themselves, whether that's a temporary or a longer term yeah. thing, then, oh, just, yeah, just the wrong outcomes happen. You know, it's time it's, and time again. Exactly. So I think for me, yeah, I think just making sure that, you know, more vulnerable people in society have got, you know, somebody with their best interests 
they're you know on hand to 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 stick up for them and you know most of the time people have got family members who'll who'll do that but i think it, when you when that's missing um you know we we provide a lot of advocacy for our clients um you know if somebody goes into hospital that's you know we'll we we certainly don't end the care there. That's absolutely we'll we'll liaise with the hospital teams, making sure they're, you know, they're they're looked after whilst they're in that hospital system, and that people really understand what their pre-hospital, their pre-admission functionality was like. Because, you know, otherwise they, you know, maybe won't be treated as aggressively as they could be. And you know, anyway, I think that's yeah for me that's that's probably my my big one. Advocacy, yeah. and that that's probably a great place to stop. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> You're very welcome.